A story they're writing today A wall that they're climbing You can carry the past on your shoulders You can start over Welcome to the broadcast of Calvary Chapel, Jacksonville Where the pastor is Pastor Ricky Rueda Grab your Bibles and read along Now here's Pastor Ricky Lord, we ask that, um, God, you would speak to us tonight as we get into your word, that, Lord, um, this book would be a a good challenge for us, Father, that we would um, be encouraged to endure, Father, um, not for just the sake of one another, but, Lord, for you. And so, God, we just ask that you'd lend us your Holy Spirit. We ask this in your name. Amen. So... Last week, <coughs> we took on the first of the two, First and Second Timothy, as we are stepping into these, this section of pastoral epistles or letters to the pastor's leadership. And I know that we covered these books not all that long ago, but one thing to remember is that even though these are called pastoral letters, um, they are still letters to the whole church. And so we see that as Timothy has been tasked with not only receiving the encouragement from Paul in this letter, but he's also been asked to read this to the church so that they would know how to come alongside their pastor, alongside their leadership, and join together in the work of ministry. And in 1 Timothy, we see um, a letter that would have been hard for Timothy and hard for the church to hear. Um, I don't imagine 2 Timothy was much easier as Timothy is still dealing with hardship outside of the church. And what we see really in this one is a lot of hardship that Paul is encouraging Timothy to endure through within the church. And so here, as we get through this book, our key verses that we're looking at um, that we will eventually cover as we work through this is chapter 2, verses 15, which is encouraging Timothy and encouraging pastors, encouraging leaders, and I would say that it could also apply and should apply to every believer that we should strive to find ourselves approved by God by the way that we handle the word. And then the other one that we're going to find notable at the end in chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, is that Paul's going to encourage Timothy to preach even to the ears that are unwilling to listen and just aren't listening. Second Timothy comes with an interesting charge to, it almost reads as though, Timothy, you endure despite the people in the church. And while there's an encouragement for the church in this, we see Paul address one thing after another of these issues that are happening within it and that we realize that, These are things that Timothy's having to deal with every single day. But now, Paul's encouraging Timothy to do these things while dealing with his own tribulation and still communicating the challenge to endure, but also communicating at the same time that the race is worth it. And he's communicating joy and he's communicating value in the suffering that he has found himself in with Christ. And so here, since the first letter, Paul has now been arrested again. He is in a Mamertine prison in Rome. Now, this kind of prison is not 
like his house arrest as we have been made previously aware of, but this one was much more severe. <clears throat> a Mamertine prison would have been, or is, and we use, if you go to Rome today, there are still some of these that are visible. It's a hole in the ground of sorts in that they, the prisoners would have been put in this hole, in this dungeon, that the only mode of air that would have come in was through this little hole, that any food that came in, they would lower down on a rope into this, that there was no restrooms. They were required to reside amongst everything that comes with residing in a place for a long time. There was no place to go. There was no escape. It was dank, dark, disgusting, and putrid for the, endure, for the entirety of his stay. And another thing important to note is that Paul's been placed in this prison, but the Lord has provided him not only the supernatural knowledge to know that his time has come to an end here on earth, but the ability to, even within this kind of prison, within this kind of persecution, to find joy within it. And so Paul is writing to Timothy, a brother, a pastor who is certainly enduring hardship within his church. But Timothy would know what Paul is going through, and Paul also being encouraged, even in a greater set of tribulation than Timothy. And I, I would preface, too, I'm not going to compare people's suffering, but I'm sure Timothy would have been thankful he's not residing in this kind of prison with Paul. And so here we see these two brothers both struggling and suffering in the flesh, but both finding and being encouraged to find their joy regardless because there is a future hope that awaits and Paul would know that he is about to arrive at that final hope. And so, if you guys are in 2 Timothy chapter 1, would you say amen? It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so Paul, <clears throat> I love reading Paul's letters because I don't know how many men, how many pastors even, could write a letter in the tribulation that Paul is in with the kind of grace and mercy that he displays to another brother who is also suffering. That we as, <clears throat> we as people can tend to look at somebody else's suffering that may literally be less significant than ours and find an inability to express mercy. That we would say, why in the world are you complaining? At least you're not in my situation. And Paul doesn't approach Timothy in that way at all. As he, 
he approaches him with words of comfort. And it's a reminder of, for us as believers that we're not called to evaluate somebody else's suffering against another or to evaluate somebody's suffering against ours. We're called to admonish and to, an, to encourage, not to withhold truth, but to remind our brothers and sisters in the faith that they are both loved and, bo- and not overlooked. And so here to Timothy, he writes, my beloved child. Timothy would have been saved at the preaching of Paul many years ago, and he would have walked with him on one of his missionary journeys so far. And as Timothy is a young man, again, we're talking about a brother around the age of um, 16 years old, possibly even as young as 15, has now found himself in this place charged with the responsibility to lead a church. And it hasn't been going well. I think for all intensive purposes, many men would have quit considering the, the, <laughs> the suffering he's had to endure from the people within the church. These, these men and women hit him with every single theological problem you could hit him with. They hit him with every kind of complaining. They hit him with every kind of trouble. Then in 1 Timothy, we see Paul encourage him. It's like, brother, I want to remind you to endure, to stay, and to preach. And here again, he reminds him. But before he gets into the charge, he reminds Timothy first that he is beloved. And I would ask you, as you communicate to one another, especially those who are in suffering, do you remind a person, do you remind a brother, do you remind a sister that they are beloved, not just by God, but by you as well? We're very good at being direct in our correction, overlooking the fact that somebody does need to know that they are loved, and not in the way that the world would define it, but the way that the Word does. And so here, Timothy, my beloved child, I'm thankful as I remember your faith. I'm thankful as I remember what the Lord has done in your family. I'm thankful as I remember what the Lord has done in you. I'm thankful as I remember that we had the blessed opportunity to lay hands on you as you would step into ministry and move forward in these things. Timothy, I'm sure, reading this is relieved to hear that even though he doesn't hear it often, that there is a love for him somewhere. I don't know how many of us need to hear that tonight, but you have to know that even though you don't hear it often, you are in fact loved. And Paul would have Timothy know that, brother, you are loved, you are beloved. And with that, God has given us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so, Timothy, as you are loved, remember the Spirit of God that dwells within you, that you need not to fear, but you have the authority of God on your side. You have the love of God within you, and He's given you the Holy Spirit to practice self-control as you lead. He's encouraging Timothy, this pastor who is heartbroken, to fear not, to endure. And then he goes into this charge here. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, reminding him that, Timothy, suffering is what comes with walking with Christ. And so here we have this amazing opening, this amazing encouragement that Timothy would receive 
And as he has lifted up the spirit of Timothy with kindness, he's then going to hit him and the church with the charge and the requirements of both the leader and the believer. And so if you're taking notes, if we're going to outline 2 Timothy, the, one of the more simple ones is chapter 1 is your present calling or Timothy's present calling. Don't be ashamed and preach. Chapter 2 is the character of a pastor and leader. Chapter 3 is practical concern. And then chapter 4 is a personal charge to Timothy. And then we will see him end with these closing remarks. And so I would remind you again before we dive into this is that <clears throat> Paul is writing these letters knowing that his, his end is near and that historically these are actually the final words that we have penned by Paul. And so while I'm sure as he has made it evident and very clear that our brother never retreated from proclaiming the gospel, at least when it comes to pen on paper, these are Paul's final notes to the church. And so Timothy, again, is tasked with these to communicate these. But look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. It says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is a hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So now, as we <coughs> move from this to the next, we see this we begin to see the characteristics of the leader, of the pastor, the shepherd. And right here in these first several verses, he gives him three examples of what it is to pursue for the final goal. And the first is we see the soldier in verse 3 and 4. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, as no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him is that you, Timothy, you strive to ensure that you're not leading this church to receive the accolades of those around you, but you strive to be faithful so that you would hear the praises of the Father who put you in that place. A reminder that while it might be tempting to avoid difficult conversation, to avoid false accusation, to endure hardship within church, to endure the, to endure the ridicule. And if, it might be tempting to abandon all of those things, but you remember at the end of days, Timothy, that it is God who you will stand in front of, not these men. And then he goes on to bring the next example. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Timothy, you do well and you minister in an order that is in character with who God is and in a way that displays his grace and mercy. And then finally, 
he says, it is a hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops, and that as you would be faithful to serve in this manner, you would have the opportunity to see the fruit that the Lord will yield in your ministry if you would be faithful in it. And that oftentimes we can be we can desire the fruit of our labor so much that we try to manufacture something that isn't real. But he's reminding Timothy here is be patient, endure, and let the Lord provide the true fruit of God. You endure. A reminder that the admirable only enjoy the fruit of their labor or they get to see their final goal if they endure rightfully and faithfully for the entirety of their task. For the believer, that is with our whole lives. For the minister, that is for the entirety of their call. And I don't think that we should divide those up too much, is that we are called to be faithful regardless of our position in the church. And that doesn't mean that mistakes are not made. Remember this, as we read through these pastoral letters, we do see God institute a very high standard for the leadership of the church. But we shouldn't confuse a high standard for a perfect standard. Is that the pastors are called to strive to be Christ-like, but in our striving to be Christ-like, as we make mistakes, we are also called to be humble, confessional, and repentant, just like everybody else. Is as we look around, it's a very practical lesson. As we look at those whether they be soldiers, whether they be athletes, or whether they be farmers, those who are the best at what they do have made an abundant amount of mistakes, but what they've done with those is learned from them and not repeated them. There's not a wise man who walks on this earth who hasn't learned from a million mistakes. A wiser man would learn from the mistakes of others, but there have been mistakes along the way. And so, brother and sister, don't be discouraged at your mistakes. Bring them to the Lord and let the Lord do well with you as He teaches you and sanctifies you as you walk with Him. And then He goes on from there. We'll look at 2 verses 14 and 15. He says, Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And I'm actually going to read a little bit further. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened, and they are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The, Lord's know, the Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. And so, we strive to present ourselves approved to God, rightly handling the word of truth. Now, what's interesting here <clears throat> is that if we look at this and we cherry-pick this verse, it's very easy to walk away with the understanding that 
the pastor and the leader is to only handle the word of truth in teaching. But as we look through the scriptures as a whole, and we look at the establishment of the church, and we look at the establishment of God's leadership, is that to rightly handle the word of truth is to not just teach it well, but is to live it to the best of your abilities as well. In the book of Acts, as we see the church established in it, we see that the leaders would handle the word of truth both in action and in teaching, that they would perform miracles, that they would teach the word of God, and that they would actually lead in fellowship together, that these leaders would install the practical use of the word of God in every aspect of life, not just from the pulpit. And that there are some who would look at this scripture and look at the ordinance of the overseer and the deacon and say that a pastor's job is to only proclaim the word of God and what they really mean is that to do what I am doing right now. But that is not the shepherd's only call of the church. Our work, our character, our lives, all of these things are factors in our handling of the word of God. Paul's reminding Timothy that, brother, you not only teach the word, but you live in a way that is, it would be undeniable that it is, in fact, God that you are pursuing. And so, pastor, you do the same. Leader, you do the same. Servant, Christian, rightly handle the word of God both in life and in action. But what is this, what, as we look into this, I don't want you to think that this is an opinion, but the word proclaims this. John 10, 11 through 13 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing the sheep. And so an aspect of being a good shepherd is to reside amongst them, to watch over them and to watch out for them, to actually be aware of the dangers that are coming for them, even though that they may be blissfully unaware of it, to remind them to keep their eyes open. But that means the pastor has to be present in the life of the sheep of the church. And so if you are a leader here, I would ask, are you present in the lives of those that you are leading? Do you know them well? Do you know what dangers approach them? Do you know how to make them aware so that they would avoid them as well? And so a summary of a good shepherd. A good shepherd shows great concern for his sheep. He provides for them in terms of nourishment and rest. He guides them, leading the way. He is intimately involved with the flock and concerned for the safety of each. He is willing to sacrifice his own comfort, even his own life, for the sake of his sheep. In some, the pastor is called to replicate the ministry of Christ that he displayed for them first. And so we see this kind of love and care continued to be expressed through Scripture. If you're taking notes, John 21, 15 through 19, we see this interaction between Peter and Jesus. And Peter has 
If there was a more epic failure amongst the disciples, I'm not sure there is any, but Peter's denied Christ three times and not been where Jesus called him to go. But Peter has now heard that Jesus has in fact risen from the dead and he's waiting for him. He's fishing and Jesus comes walking down the beach and he hears his Savior's voice and jumps out of the boat, swims to him and they meet on the sand. And Jesus has prepared breakfast for him in the most gracious and merciful way, but they have this conversation here. And it says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to them, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he, had, he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and you walk wherever you walked wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And then he's, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus made it very clear to Peter that day what it was to be not just a follower of Christ but to be a leader of those who would also follow him as well to make sure that they are cared for to make sure that they are taught well to make sure that they are intimately known to tend to their needs and then Peter would go on from there in 1 Peter 5 1 through 4 so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight not under not under compulsion but willingly as God would have you nor for for shameful gain but eagerly not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So Peter would have the opportunity to encourage the next set of Christian leaders behind him. And he would encourage them, you don't do this out of compulsion, you don't do this because you have to. You, pastor, you, leader, would do it willingly. This has to be a desire, an overwhelming desire within you. Paul would even explain this as he can't consider even doing anything else except to do this. And not for shameful gain. And not in a domineering way. You don't rule over them as a king. You don't rule over them as a dictator. You rule over them as examples of grace and mercy so that when the chief shepherd appears who you should be striving towards together you will receive the unfading crown of glory you can't be lazy Timothy you can't be self-seeking 
you must be diligent to be a living sacrifice in your handling of the word of truth. And so, brothers and sisters, as you are either ministers now or considering being one, are we being diligent to be a living sacrifice in the handling of the word of truth? Is it's not enough to be a good teacher from behind the pulpit, but we're called to be living examples, living sacrifices as Christ was for us first. And then moving to chapter 3, <clears throat> let's look at verses 1 through 6. It says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, holy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them, and we spoke to this last week, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. And so, <coughs> verse 1, he says, there are difficult times coming. And I want to remind us again, as we read through these letters to Timothy, is it's, we almost forget as we read through the text that Paul isn't talking about the characteristics of the people outside of the church. Paul is giving Timothy a warning of the character of the people that would try to reside within the church. We see that because at the end of this section of, uh, or at the end of this description, it says that they will have the appearance of godliness. And so whether they are within Timothy's church, they are within some kind of church somewhere claiming to have a knowledge of God that they don't actually have. And so he says these times will be difficult. Timothy, be ready, be prayerfully considerate that as you move into your pastoral call or as you continue to walk in it, that this is going to be very hard. The other words that we see, depending on what your translation are, would say that times are going to be terrible. Times are, people are going to be irreverent. It is very easy as a pastor to assume that when people behave in this manner that it's the failing of the pastor but God reminds us through his word here that these aren't the failings of the pastor these are the characteristics that the pastor has been called to address within the church that they would proclaim the word of God so that they would hear the truth and turn from their wicked ways 
is that there are times, and it's a, it's a teaching for another day, there are times that these characteristics come from unfaithful teaching and unfaithful leadership, but this is not Timothy. These are people who love the ways of the world more than they love God, and Timothy has been charged to lead them, to point them to Christ, to point them to the truth so that they would make a right decision so that when that chief shepherd appears, they wouldn't have a horrible day, but they would have a blessed one. These described here will have the appearance of godliness. So Timothy as you strive in this, these are the troubles that are coming and they're going to look the part. They're going to look right. They will have the look. They will be passionate. They will be leaders, but they will be leaders on their way to judgment with, with, with their deceived followers. Friends, some of you are going to be looking for a church soon. We're in the time of year in this town where there's a lot of turnover. And I would encourage you that you're not looking for the image of a perfect leader. You're looking for the posture of a humble pastor and servant who would lead you to Christ. As you look for a church, you're looking for somebody who's going to proclaim the word of God both from the pulpit and with their lives. We can be very caught up in the look of a person and the way somebody can communicate and the way that they can pitch something to us. The people of Israel fell victim to this with Saul. They weren't looking for a man of God. They were looking for the right man. And so I would encourage you, look for men of God who can lead you. It might not be a comfortable situation, Good. Timothy's in a very uncomfortable situation, but are you following a man of God? Are you following someone who will point you back to the Word no matter what? Are you following somebody who isn't telling you what you want to hear, but is telling you what you need to hear? Be considerate of these things as you are looking. And brothers and sisters, for those of us who are not, pray for those that are. Pray that they wouldn't fall under the words of a deceiver, but they would fall under the words that would lead them to Christ above all things. And then in verse or chapter 4, verse 1 again. It says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in the, and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will in, not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears that they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But as for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. 
I'm going to read a little further. He's reminding Timothy of these things, and he goes on to say, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and at the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And so here in four, we get these final charges, these final encouragements and exhortations. Endure, verses one through five, endure against an unhearing people. I can't imagine this letter would have been easy for this church to hear. Man, Paul's talking about us. Am I really this, am I am I am I one of these guys? Similarly, as we see the disciples when Jesus hits them with a question, like, Lord, is it I? Brothers and sisters, I would encourage you, when we run into a challenging section of scripture, at least ask the question, is this me? Because if there's any of these characteristics within me, Lord, create in me a new heart. Father, don't let this be the characteristics of me or my household. Lord, make me like the men who are described here that actually follow you. But he's telling Timothy, preach the word and preach it passionately and be ready because this is what's coming. This is what's going to sit before you. There will be those who will be there. You need to reprove and rebuke and exhort but you need to do it with patience and you need to teach it well. And in that patience, he reminds them that they will not endure sound teaching. Timothy, be ready. They will not listen to you. They will have itching ears and they will find teachers that tell them what they want to say or tell them what they want to hear. Rather than listening to the truth, they would wander off into myths They will be consumed by the things that they think they need to be consumed by instead of the Word of God. They would prefer to challenge their intellect than to settle for the simple truth of the Word. That healing isn't a complicated answer, but it is in fact as simple as surrendering to Christ. But even though they would do these things, you, Timothy, be sober-minded endure suffering and I would remind us of that because again maybe this is a western culture thing but pastors are not equipped to endure suffering like we used to be it wasn't that long ago in the United States that the church was all but dead and there was faithful pastors all across the country who were doing nothing but hosting a prayer meeting all alone It's a wonderful time to read about this bit of history is that from prayer meetings, there was only a few churches left in the whole country, the church boomed. These pastors endured. These pastors were founded on bended knee when nobody would listen to what they had to say, but they still proclaimed the word to a people who said they didn't want to hear it until the Holy Spirit convicted them. And the Holy Spirit began to change and sanctify them. 
and we began to see the, one of the very first moves of the Holy Spirit across our country in these times. Timothy, they won't listen. You endure suffering, and you endure it for Christ. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. It reminds me, as we look back at the Old Testament, we have the example of Noah. Brothers and sisters, when we, when we look at ministers and we look at teachers and we look at pastors and we look at all these different people, we evaluate their worth by the look of the place when we walk in. We evaluate their worth by the attendance of the people that sits in front of them. We evaluate their worth by fill in the blank. But Noah was considered a faithful man of God, and do you know how many people he saw saved in 100 years of preaching the gospel? Not one. He cried out for 100 years. Repent. The rain is coming. And nobody listened. But Noah, as he stood before the good shepherd, would hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And some of you today, I don't know what your day looks like, but you might feel like a failure. And you know, in the world's eyes, let's be honest, you might be one. But in the eyes of Christ, if you have been faithful to proclaim the word of God and to live faithful, you absolutely are not one in the eyes of Christ. And that's what's important. The world's going to tell you you're a million different things that ir are irrelevant in the eyes of the Father. When you stand before God, not only will they not be there, even if they are, you wouldn't see them anyway. Whose approval is it that you desire at the end of your life? Timothy, you be prepared to endure no matter what. Not out of compulsion, but out of willingness. Notice that Paul never encourages Timothy to minister out of bitterness and anger. But even though he's describing... And let's be honest, he's describing a pretty horrible group of people. Like, we make shows about these kinds of people. But he's saying, Timothy, endure and love them. Timothy, love them like Christ loves them. When they bite back at you, you stay. When they say ill things of you, you pray for them. When they hate you, you serve them. You live a life of sacrifice for the people that I have given you charge over. Timothy, do not abandon your post. And then from here, as he's said, finish what you started. And in the beginning of the book, we see that it started well. Finish what you started well. He goes on with these final things as Paul is bringing his time, as the Lord is bringing Paul's life to a close. That's what he means by him being poured out as a drink offering. Do your best to come to me soon. You see that he'd encourage him to bring his books and his parchments, a commentary I was looking at today. The parchments would be the letters that we're reading today. Don't let 
please bring those to me because I have plans for them and the Lord is faithful to see the parchments on. But in verse 22, he says, The Lord be with your spirit and grace be with you. The ministers in the church's blessed reminder. You know, the church, when it functions well, is a very, is a, a wonderful and beautiful thing. When you see a group of people who are willing to move outside of their comfortability to make sure that others are served and others are cared for, there's nothing quite like what the Lord is able to do through a group of people, through a group of servants. But in that, even with that, he doesn't say the church be with you, or he doesn't say the people be with you. It says, the Lord be with your spirit and grace be with you. The sum, it's a difficult task, but that is why we strive. We have to remember that we don't strive for the people. We strive for Christ and the people benefit from that. We abide in our calling, even as we've read here, against and despite the people. 2 Timothy 2, 1-15. through 15. I skipped over this on purpose, but I want to make sure we come back to this. 2 Timothy 2, 1-15. through 15. Sorry, 2 Timothy 1, verse 15. It says, You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Hegelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesphorus, Onesphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. And so here we see this brother, Onesphorus, provide Paul the same kind of graceful encouragement that he gives Timothy is that Paul felt alone and he was but the Lord sent a brother to make sure that Paul knew he was loved but in verse 15 for those of you who are ministering he's writing to Timothy again Timothy does feel alone we see that very obviously here in the text we see that Timothy is dealing with great tribulation amongst the people he is serving. But it's a suffering that not only Christ knows, but Paul knows. And he tells him here, you are aware that all who are in Asia have turned from me. These churches that Paul planted, these people that Paul saw come to the Lord have forsaken him and for no other reason than the fact that he has been arrested and has chains on him. They've wrongly assumed that because he is in prison, then he is clearly not of God, and they've abandoned him in this hole. Paul was able to proclaim this word because of verse 22. The Lord was with him in spirit, and he was covered by the grace of God. Paul was not always encouraged by the churches he planted. Paul was not always encouraged by the people he ministered to. Paul's encouraging Timothy again, brothers, stay. It's worth it. 
the Lord makes it worth it. And you'll feel alone. I know what it feels to be alone, but grace, the Lord be with you in spirit. Grace be with you. And from here, as we wrap this letter up, Paul would move from here <clears throat> to stand before Caesar, Caesar and Nero. And what's interesting is that even in front of Nero, Paul would face an honorable death. Is that as he was a Roman citizen, he wasn't allowed to be crucified and he wasn't allowed to be brutalized. He was to be beheaded and killed and taken away in a moment. And I love how uh, our pastor, Skip Heitzig, would say this, and I know I've been using his commentary, but his commentary has been good lately. Paul, in one swing, went from the imperial city to the eternal city. That was his hope. And it had arrived in a moment, and it's ours. Paul knew what was coming, and he knows what's coming for you. He knew it was coming for Timothy, but he said there is hope to be had. Strive. Today's bad, but there's a better day coming. They may not be worth it, but Christ is worth it. Strive. Find yourself to be approved before God and not men. So with that, let's stand and close in prayer as I bring the worship team back up for a final song. Lord, we're thankful for a letter like 2 Timothy. We're thankful because, Lord, <clears throat> there's nobody in here who's a stranger to the thought or the idea that, Lord, I don't know if church is supposed to look like this. But God, while men have failed, while women have failed, while our friends have failed, Lord, you never have. And so, God, we pray, Lord, this prayer is it I. Lord, do we stand before you with quit within us? Lord, do we stand before you irreverent? Lord, do we stand before you with any bit of pride within us? And God, I ask that you would remove it from me and you would remove it from us.